Surfers Radio. Hey, what's up, you guys? Welcome to Word First Radio, the podcast brought to you by Word First Ministries. I am your host, Jacob O'Neill, and as always, I'm joined by my friend Cameron. Hey. And today, once again, we are joined by our friend Life Egil, uh, who's here to continue the discussion we had last week. Uh, you still doing good, Life? I'm great, yeah. Yeah, you look, it's, you haven't changed a bit since last time. <laughs> it's been ones of seconds. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Uh, well, anyways, Life, uh, thank you so much for all of your insights on the last episode. Um, I think that was really helpful, uh, really for me and Cameron uh, specifically, trying to understand the current uh, environments uh, politically and socially around abortion in Norway. Um, and so today we wanted to kind of just dig in to the pro-life position and some of the rationale behind that, especially as Christians. So I'm just going to throw it out there, life. What And you could start, there, there's probably several reasons why you're pro-life. I know there's several reasons why I'm pro-life, but if you just had to start with one of them, uh, why are you pro-life? So uh, I would begin with um, the reason I uh, entertained the very much most when I was in middle school, uh, mm-hmm. because then I was came from an atheistic perspective, mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, I realized that the main question we need to discuss is, is this a human life? Mm-hmm. And and um, I remember uh, when we discussed this, we discussed this for uh, several weeks um, in uh, in the free time. And, uh, and I, I really thought this was a very hard question to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh i ended up uh on the the perspective that well i really don't know mm. but if i don't know if it's a human life we probably should not eliminate it mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. because if it is that's a major problem and if it right. is not and then mm-hmm. i i kind of backed off and said like well um it's still a women's health issue i don't have any say in it and mm-hmm. i left it left it at that but yeah. i've since revised my position <laughs> sure yeah. sure well there's so there's a uh, i say famous famous depending on the circles that you walk in mm-hmm. thought experiment uh, that i think concludes with that very conservative conclusion and it's the the conclusion is something like how certain do you have to be that what you're doing is not killing a human life before you engage in the thing so the thought experiment is something like you're in charge of demolishing a building and just before you push the button that demolishes the building you see a little girl's bicycle in front of the building and we imagine that there are some uh we call them bean counters there's somebody who can give you an accurate estimate okay there's a there's a 60% chance that there's a little girl in that building. If there's a 60% chance that when you demolish the building, you're going to kill a human life, yep. then would you still push the button? Mm-hmm. And then of course you just keep pressing that same intuition. So, okay, what if the bean counters come back and they say it's 20%, 20% chance there's a little girl in there, but about 10%, what about 2%? And most people, it's interesting. Most people's intuition, I think was like yours. And they, they, I think a lot of people make the same move. So the intuition is, 
if pushing this button kills a little girl, mm-hmm. I have to be really sure that there isn't one in there. Um, and of course you can see the, you can see how that's analogous to abortion, but then I think people do the same thing, but it's women's rights. I stay out, I should stay out of this. I'm not allowed to have an opinion or my, my opinion is, um, is not valuable or, or whatever. So I'm, so, uh, my voice doesn't count something like that, but that's interesting. That's, uh, interesting that as a middle schooler, you would take that conservative approach. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if what we're killing is a human or not. Therefore we probably shouldn't do it. Right. I, I think, uh, well, just hearing you say that, uh, I, I'm trying not to feel this way just because it concludes with opinion I agree with, but I, I think that that's super rational. I think that that's <laughs> super, I mean, I just think, I think that that's, it seems like common sense to me. Uh, it seems like really basic reasoning that has, a yeah, just has a good, uh, conclusion to draw from it that's like listen if there's a if somebody came and told me i'm 90 percent sure that a little girl's not in this building i would i i could not let him push the button like i don't need you to be a 90 percent sure i don't need you to be 95 percent sure i need you to be a hundred percent sure that there is no little girl in this building before i could let you push the button there's, there's no mm-hmm. way that i could do that otherwise and just real quick because it's come up twice now um, you guys can say whatever you want to about this, but I'll just say really quickly. Um, I know that say this caught, uh, this, this podcast episode caught wind on s- somewhere online and they see, listen, you guys are three white men <laughs> coming on here talking about, uh, abortion and a women's issue. You guys are not qualified to talk about this. So, uh, first of all, removing me from the equation, uh, I'll defend Cameron and life's qualifications to talk to the, to talk about this uh to anyone okay. um but this is uh i'll just say real quick this it's not just a woman's issue um it might affect women more than men but i, I can say as somebody who's uh, been in recovery ministry and have met lots of men who have gone through this issue they've either had abortions or considered abortions and i know that men uh carry the burden of this issue very strongly. You might say that women carry it strong, stronger than men do. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be willing to say that. But men also carry this burden very, very powerfully and very strongly. And it's a really tough thing for them to go through. And I've had to see that. And for life and Cameron as fathers and as for men who uh, are potential fathers, uh, what fathers say about this issue is important. And it's unfair to dismiss them because of their opinions on that. So that's that's uh, just all the statement I want to say about that. I don't want to harp on that issue too long. I want to get yeah. back to the arguments and the substance of them. So life, I think that that argument that you just made is is very strong. Um, so uh, maybe, I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to say about that, but I'd actually want to move on to the question uh, that settles the issue or or that the most important question of all uh, life, where you stand now in your opinion and belief is, uh, I'll just ask you, is what is in the woman's womb a life? Is it a living human or a living thing? Actually, is it okay, Jay? I'm sorry. I'm half sorry to interrupt. Is it okay if I ask that same question slightly differently? Uh, sure. So <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> we've, so we've, yeah. we've gone through the thought experiment and it says we found a little girl's tricycle and we've thought about how certain do we have mm-hmm. to be that there's not a little girl in there before we push the button that destroys the building. Somebody could say, 
Yeah, but the 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 thought experiment is disanalogous because we don't have a tricycle. We know what's in the womb, and it's not a human baby. It's whatever else the definition is. Usually, something like a zygote or an embryo. Yeah, uh, but we mm. we know that whatever that thing is, it's not a human being, or it's not a human person, or it's something that doesn't have a moral status such that um, it would be immoral to kill it. So, so prove that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I would say that um, f- first up, um, if it is a human living being there's three specific things it needs to be human it needs to be living and it needs needs to be a being um so um in the broadest sense being is absolutely obvious <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it cannot not be a being right. if it was not <laughs> yes. the being we wouldn't be talking about it yeah uh, and then um is it living well there are cells here and at the, if we found anything remotely like the smallest embryo on Mars, we would say we have found life on Mars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, to me, uh, living is also uh, not very controversial. Yeah. Um, and then human. Uh, and um, to me, uh, at, at least today, that seems almost as obvious that it mm-hmm. needs to be human because what else could a uh, human produce mm-hmm. like uh, humans doesn't produce uh foxes <laughs> like mm-hmm. right um, exactly but one could say well humans produce saliva mm-hmm. so so one could say it, it's some sort of byproduct that yeah. is not a human, but or we not do a human know yet. that. Yes, exactly. So, mm-hmm. so, but we do know that this living being is the same living being that will be a human in some time, at the mm-hmm. very least. Uh, and then um, the question is really, what do we mean with the term human? Mm-hmm. Because if uh, the human. Uh, is defined by its DNA. We know it's obviously human because it has its DNA from the beginning mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's defined by um, its brain chemistry, well, then it needs to have that kind of brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. So, so the question is, what do we define human as? Right. Uh, and most, at the very least, if, if we go to the scientific literature, this is very easy. They, they uh, if you go to any embryology paper, any, basically any, so, so to be careful, to basically sure. any, uh, you will find, they will say it's a human living being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then the question is, is that enough? Right. So, uh, you brought up, Cameron, that uh, does it has, have a moral status? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's really the important issue. And that's the issue I think we can um, 
have interesting conversations about uh, that can even be uh, tough. Yeah. Uh, so what uh, is it enough to be a human to have a moral status as a Christian? It's pretty easy to say, well, uh, all humans are created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So when we connect the term human with image of God and put mm-hmm. some sense of value in that, then we have our answer. Yeah. But going into uh, a secular society, that's not equally obvious. Right. So uh, that's where the, the really good conversation can be had. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth having. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's one of the things that's been going on in the conversation in the public sphere. And so there was a, uh, yeah, you guys got to help me out with the the lady's name, but uh, we know Dr. Phil, of course, had uh, the leader of the, uh, I believe it's called live action. Um, or something like that. Like it's a pro-life organization that's uh, really big online. They had the founder of that organization there, and Doctor Phil kept trying to say, "Well, the uh, the literature on abortion is not conclusive, or sorry, the literature on embryology is not conclusive on whether or not what's inside the woman at conception is a is a living human being." And she was just not having it. <laughs> she yeah. was she was just not letting him get a sentence out at all. Yeah. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah, I'd have two things to say about that. The first is well, real quick. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Before you say those two things, I'm on. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> she so she was just not having it. She was just not like, going to let him get it out. She was like, "Nope, the literature is universal." And Doctor Phil was like, "Okay, well, here's the article I'm talking about." And when you read the article, what it was actually read by people who were digging into it you find that the article does not deny that life begins at conception or that what's in the woman is a uh, living human being. What the article draws a question mark over is the issue of personhood, whether or not what's in the woman is a person or, uh, and that goes to the values issue that like life was bringing up with the image of God and things like that. Mm -hmm. Is this person, is this a person that we have a moral obligation to keep alive or and care for. So that's what the debate is around. Uh, the scientists in that article seem to chalk it up to the philosophers. And it's a good thing I've got a couple philosophers here to <laughs> say two. One of them wants to say two things about it right now. So go ahead, Cameron. Three things now. Okay. So thing one, the, uh, the life was right to be conservative when he said all the, the embryology textbooks, they mm. all agree. They, as far as I know, and I've seen surveys of the literature, they just do. So, so by and large, it's basically universal position. However, there are um, it's true that we have political ideas that are finding their way into hard science education. So we need to be um, aware of that. Hmm. So the but the first thing is yes, by and large, and since uh, for as long as we care to know, embryology has said exactly what life said. This is a living human being. It hasn't said much about being actually, but has said it's a living yeah. human. And then they define stages of development, which we are all among, which we're all a part of, right? So mm-hmm. so the zygote stage and the embryonic stage on th- through uh, adolescence and puberty and adulthood and so on until death uh, is a, uh, it's a spectrum. 
and you can draw fuzzy boxes around certain epochs of that um, of that development. And then Jacob, you brought up an important thing, which is so if we're, if we're discussing what life, you said they kicked it up to the philosophers. Mm-hmm. That's the exact right thing to do. People have this impulse. It's an epistemological question, but have this impulse to ask the scientists all the questions. And there are mm-hmm. some questions that the scientists don't have the tools to answer, which is like asking your asking a, a chef to build a deck at your house. It's like that some of their tools have some overlap, but he's not necessarily equipped to, to be the one to do that job. And so when we ask questions about life, is it life and is it human? Those actually can't really be defined well by the scientists. Those get defined by the philosophers. And the scientists can give us really interesting information about particular instances mm-hmm. that can help us to understand our metaphysics and our ethics. And then finally, I think the question hinges on these two things. And it's so um, disappointing that in general, the conversation doesn't go to these two places. Question one is what are the kinds of things morally that it's um, that's morally allowable to kill? So what are the living things that it's morally permissible to uh, take the life of? That's question one. Um, And the second one is, is are these living human beings instances of that or not? Sure. And yeah. we hang out on the second question for the most part. Is and uh, but then the problem is, and life. I'm sure you know this, and I'd love to hear more about what you think. But what happens is the um, people who are in favor of abortion access tend to define. I'm just going to call it. Uh, I'll call it the embryo. Mm-hmm. I don't again. Don't mean to use a loaded term, but we got to call it something. Tend to define that. Oh, tend to define that living human being um, in such a way that it's morally permissible to kill it. But then we can think of intuitively very clear examples of living human beings that have been born that meet those same criteria that we're sure you're not allowed to to take the life of. And right. so we're looking for what's the morally relevant distinction. And in most of the cases, when we try to find something accidental about this living human being, such that we're morally permitted to take its life, that that applies to born living human beings also. And so we end up then having to talk about essential characteristics of living human beings. And there's just no, there's no obvious point when a human gets those say after it's conceived, something like that. So, um, yeah, I think all those are all the things I want to say just now Mm -hmm. is good. Give it to the philosophers when it comes to what, what's the definition of life and, Uh, because scientists don't know. Although, if they have a good definition of life, they can tell us whether or not something is alive. Thank you, scientists. I'm so glad for what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, But then what are those morally relevant distinctions? And in most cases, somebody will offer a morally relevant distinction such that uh, they they morally justify abortion, but then we could see how that distinction ends up not being actually a morally relevant distinction because you can't apply it to a born human and then be uh, morally permitted to kill them also. What do you think? So I think that um, the most interesting conversation is, is exactly in this area. Like, What are um, the qualities that, uh, if it's not just in being a human, like one would say, for instance, as a Christian, uh, uh one could one could ask well what else is there uh, what is it that defines uh moral value and um 
I think some of, at least in Norway, um, there's still a very, um, very deep instinct that uh, all humans matter equally, hmm. uh, and um, and that was the case also for me. I, I knew that was one of my pure tenants. I believe this is mm-hmm. true. I did also know that um, when I say true, I mean true for me. Mm. Uh, so mm. I was a- aware that that is troublesome to to just generalize that and say everyone needs to adhere to this standard. Uh, but uh, thankful- thankfully, it's also the case that I would say most Norwegians are there. Um, so, so it's still a good way to to like pop the bubble. Like, uh, okay, if you suggest this quality, for instance, consciousness. Mm-hmm. Okay, can we then uh, kill an unconscious human? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> uh, they would not like that. Okay, right. so so at least we we speak with someone who still have the instinct that um, this is not correct. But mm-hmm. I would not presume that that would or will be the case in thirty, forty, fifty years. Yeah, I don't think that will be as obvious at all. Mm. So I wonder. I have another question. Do you mind if I interject, Jacob? Go for it. One other question. I wonder how you answer. Uh, someone will insist that the the living human being that we're talking about actually qualifies as a parasite, which mm. uh, being in the category parasite means that you are that you have the that it doesn't have the right to live, and that it's morally permissible, therefore, to rid yourself of a parasite. How would you respond to that? So I would start like um, first we need to see what we're meaning by the terms because mm-hmm. a parasite mm-hmm. is normally not the same species as it is parasitic too. Mm-hmm. And that we have already started calling it a human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if it is true that it is a human, we would in that case have the only instance of a parasite being parasitic to itself. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. It, uh, at the very least, just calling <laughs> yeah. it a parasite does not seem to... Uh, overlap with what we normally call a parasite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and then I would say that um, so so that's the first like intuition. What what do we ne- mean by the these uh, words? But I, I would also say that uh, when we look at a, a fetus, that that is in no way similar to to a parasite. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, the, the closest you you get to that it it could be a parasite is it, it depends on nutrition from its host. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that in no way seems to to get to a parasite. Yeah. <laughs> so there's exactly. lots lots of things uh, yeah. require nutrition from their host hosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 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 that's not a parasite at all. Yeah. Or you can just go on the line of reasoning we uh, camera did earlier, where we can find examples of, you know, like a two-year-old. Yeah. It depends on yeah, nutrition yeah, yeah, yeah. from the host. Uh, babies in infancy who breastfeed are mm-hmm. dependent on uh, their host for nutrition. 
But I mean, the whole whole comparison to a parasite thing is, is it seems so, uh, well, uh, the uh, human beings, it's of their nature or it's a part of their nature. It's how their bodies are made to conceive and bear children. So it is not having a parasite uh, of a different species on your body. That's not part of your nature to have yeah. that. That's something wrong that's inserted it, yeah, itself. So a into reproductive the relationship is qualitatively different than a parasitic one. And Absolutely. As, as I'm thinking now, mm-hmm. it's, I think the rhetorical uh, force of calling it a parasite, I haven't thought much about this before, but as I'm thinking about it now, the rhetorical force of calling it a parasite is it, you, you import some moral intuitions by calling it parasite, exactly. which is parasites yeah. are bad. So I wonder, mm-hmm. so the idea that if it's a parasite, then it doesn't have a right to life. Well, where does that come from? What part of the definition of parasite means that this thing doesn't have a right to live? Uh, especially on a materialistic and naturalistic worldview, parasites and hosts, that, that's not a better or worse relationship than, it's just a different one. And so I don't think you can help yourself to the moral permission of being allowed to kill a thing because you can define because you can define it as parasite that's to that's to import i think some moral some morally intuitive baggage that mm-hmm. um that isn't isn't justified just by the definition right uh, parasites by their definition need to be removed so uh, it's there's some there's uh loading of moral intuitions there's some question begging it seems going on there um and so yeah i don't uh, i agree with my Philosopher guests. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, I don't think it's apt at all to, to first of all to call it a parasite, and even if you wanted to call it a parasite in the sense that it depends on the host, we already just got into an example of how an infant still depends on the host, and we know that we can't kill infants. We know that that's morally morally wrong. Yeah, but it's also not clear why calling it a parasite means you're allowed to kill it. Mm-hmm. Just because yeah. you call because you call it that thing, right? There's such a thing as a parasitic relationship biologically. We have symbiotic relationships, yeah, and yeah. we have parasitic relationships. And you could imagine, uh, maybe not by definition, but you could imagine a naturalistic world where the parasites take over, where you have all parasites and no hosts or something. And that's just a different. That's just a different course of events than you have hosts and no parasites. Mm-hmm. So I think we think of parasites. We go, ooh, that's bad because it is detrimental to the life of the host. But if you have, but that still is amoral. Otherwise, extinction is an immoral thing to have, or something like that. You have to justify why death, as such, is uh, is immoral, or why the death of the host is immoral, but the death of the parasite is not. And I think that's really hard to justify and ground on a materialistic mm-hmm. worldview. I don't think the, I don't think they have the the tools to do that. I think you're helping yourself to a bit of re- rhetoric and intuition that the definition doesn't justify. Uh, good. Let, let's move on to uh, something still similar to this track, but kind of one of the talking points that gets brought up in this conversation a lot. So we've already kind of talked about, you know, what is the nature of what is inside the woman's body? What is it? Uh, and then we had talked about the parasite conversation. Uh, and life, I'll pass this to you first. What What about when someone says, uh, you know what, uh, this is the woman's body? And because and she has the bodily autonomy to decide what happens to her body. And so because of that, she is allowed to get an abortion because it's her body. How would, how would you respond to that talking point slash argument? So I think, uh, first off, I, I like to meet some, someone in their um, mm-hmm. line of questioning. So uh, 
I, I would say I um, body autonomy is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, it is something I, I at least in in Norway we we really really <laughs> raise bodily autonomy to the mm-hmm. point that. Um, uh, no, that's a completely different subject. So, but, but at least <laughs> to, to a very high, yeah, to, 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 Next a, time. To, to a very high degree, at least. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, so I would agree that uh, bodily autonomy is is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is still, as we have already uh, alluded to, that. Uh, if this is a human living being, uh, we need to ask us, is bodily autonomy a good reason to end this human living being? Mm-hmm. That is the, that is an important question. How valuable is bodily autonomy versus that being becoming whatever it is becoming? Yeah. Uh, and I do think that um, uh, the, the strongest case for abortion is exactly trying to weigh this out. Uh, where you have people saying, yes, it's a human. Yes, it's even a person. Yes, it has moral uh, worth. But that, uh, that autonomy is a higher uh, value than this primitive primitive life mm-hmm. um, so I, I do think that if you're going to be the most consistent kind of um, pro-choice uh, that is the best potential to, to do it and mm-hmm. we do see people actually uh, bringing this position forth but they often have a problem then with where to put that specific line mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that is a, the real tough decision here yeah. where yeah. does that uh, slide those slides meet each other mm-hmm. uh, and we could of course just say well it's at 12 weeks because we have decided mm-hmm. so Yeah, but then we changed our lo- loss uh, now to 18 weeks Mm-hmm. And then we change our laws to five weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just about who decides what. And yeah. that right. at, that at least does not seem like a good sort of standard. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we have, was, we have intuitions about essential values that are coming into conflict. And that's something that we um, we run into in our moral lives all the time. We have competing moral values and one of them has to take precedence. But it's interesting how you describe it. The way I hear it is, well, humans essentially, because of what they are, have a right to the to bodily autonomy. If anyone owns my body, it's me, and it's definitely not you. Yeah. yeah. But then also, essentially, because of what we are, we have a right not to be killed. Mm-hmm. So uh, now we have we have this case where now those two things are in conflict with one another. So the the living human being. Mm-hmm. is essentially imbued or is, uh, uh, has, based on its essence, a right to not be killed. But the woman in whom it's growing essentially has a, has ownership over her own body. And uh, 
and then what we try and do is then figure out their accidental qualities and see who wins, which I think is a, I think is a losing battle. So that's when we mm. start assigning timeframes. Okay, well, yeah, it has an essential right to life, but it's not fully actualized until there's a heartbeat or there's brain chemistry or there's consciousness or there's whatever. And then we run into the same problem. I think every time I consider what are these um, things that a living human being does such that it acquires a, a right not to be killed at that moment, generally they apply, they apply to instances where intuitions tell us clearly, no, you can't kill that thing. Mm. Well, speaking of intuitions, uh, for a second, I mean, for me, like the way that I intuit this is is very, very, very far from clear that the the line between the line of when bodily autonomy outweighs the um, moral obligation not to kill the thing, and then the scales tip from going to eleven to twelve weeks, or twelve to eighteen weeks, or after eighteen weeks, these scales tip again. It, that is very far from clear for me. So mm-hmm. if it's a human, it's if it's a living human thing from conception, you get to eight weeks, twelve weeks, sixteen weeks, twenty weeks to birth. Right. Its nature never changes from conception to birth to death, and yet the uh, line between no, 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 but bodily autonomy is more important and outweighs the obligation not to kill the baby at eight weeks or one weeks to 12 weeks or now to 18 weeks. And then it becomes less important or less outweighs the other obligation Mm -hmm. after 24 weeks. That is just stating that, like I understand the sentence. um, And we had a long conversation before we started filming about what understanding a sentence means. Uh, So I, so I understand what the words are, but it, but the truth of it is very far from clear. I, I do, mm-hmm. I do not see any reason to believe that at all, uh, as yeah. it stands. Well, and there's, there's a famous, mm. um, thought experiment about the moral permissibility of abortion. Mm. And I'm going to very slight, I'm going to shorten it slightly, but it's something like you wake up and there's another person's body connected to your body yeah. so that they can borrow your kidneys. And it's temporary. It's only for nine months. This person is going to be connected to your body. If you disconnect them, they die. Mm-hmm. And if you keep them connected, after nine months they live and they can be disconnected forever. And then the, intu- the intuition that that's getting, that that's touching, is okay. So do you do you have a moral obligation to keep this person hooked up to you? You didn't ask for it. Uh, it happened while you, while you were unaware. Now that this person's been hooked up, if you disconnect them, they die. But do you really have a moral responsibility to the um, to keep this person alive by keeping them hooked up? to your body. Mm-hmm. And there's been a debate about that for 50 odd years. And it usually centers around, um, uh, the person be connected to you, whether you knew about it, if that's analogous to becoming pregnant, it's not mm-hmm. a natural process, whatever. And that's usually where it hinges. But I heard Jonathan Pritchett, uh, mm-hmm. he, he just kind of ignored all of that. He goes, you know what? Maybe you do have an obligation. Like, why are we so fast just to say, yeah, like, like, no, that person got hooked up to you and you have no responsibility to keep them alive because you didn't ask for it. And, and it's not you. Maybe, why don't we take life more seriously than that? That if mm. that was such a situation and someone got hooked up to you like that, then to, like, why is it, why is it not obvious to us? Yes, you do have a responsibility to keep that person hooked up until they can, uh, their kidneys function on their own. 
So, so that's my intuition to, in that mm. example. I, mm-hmm. I, I have always struggled with uh, why uh, so few are are entertaining that uh, mm. that moral obligation. I, I would think you might. I, I'm, I'm not saying you. It's absolutely sure that you mm. are right. oblig, oblig, obligated. But at the very least, it's not obvious to me that you're not obligated to. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it seems like you might actually be in such a case that y- you might be obligated to to stay connected. Mm. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a uh, really good answer. I, I just want to say. Uh, so when I think about that example, I'm not. Uh, Similar to what you said a second ago, life, where you said like you're not to- you're not totally sure if you have that obligation, but you might. I'm um, very similar in, in those thoughts. So I don't know that you do, but you could. And I also think that that's a good uh, whether or not I think that that's the right answer in the situation. Hmm. I think that's a good rejoinder to the argument where it's like, well, hang on a second. What are our moral intuitions, or what are our first like our um, impu- impu- impulsive reactions? to you know how we approach life how we value life and i mean that's the question uh, and well i think there's an interesting conflict yeah. it's not an outright contradiction yeah but there's an interesting conflict between that intuition that says mm-hmm. no you don't need to keep the person hooked up you owe them nothing and norway's generous welfare state that says that we should be caring for those without privilege and those without power and that you have a moral duty to do so. So mm-hmm. in Norway, we pay very high taxes, and we take for granted that people should be uh, that people should be taken care of when they when they lack the ability to care for themselves. Something like that. I'm trying not to be too precise, but there's there's also that in, that instinct. You said uh, life earlier that like we have this intuition in Norway that human beings are um, are all equally valuable. Mm. And so we don't let them go poor and we don't let them go hungry and we don't let them freeze outside because they have, uh, they have essential value somehow. Mm-hmm. But then maybe that's why you as a Norwegian weren't so quick to, to have the intuition. Uh, yeah, disconnect them from me. I don't know that person, anything I woke mm-hmm. up and they're hooked up to me. Um, but anyways, if, if somebody had the intuition, know that you don't owe them anything that you, you didn't ask to be hooked up to my kidney. I own my body, not you. There at least seems to be some friction between that instinct and the instinct in Norway that says, no, we're going to have a very generous welfare state, even though it costs the typical Norwegian a lot of uh, various resources in order to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to uh, draw the parallel here between this kind of not knowing and the kind of not knowing I started with, mm-hmm. because um, they seem to me to be pretty much parallel. If if I'm not sure if I am morally obligated to um, keep on uh, giving life to this person or not, I better become really sure before I unconnect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so to to me, the instinct here would be to not uh, disconnect unless I was completely sure that it was. Mm. Uh, absolutely morally permissible. Yeah, yeah. That's actually what I was thinking as you talked as you talked about it. That they, that we could draw parallels to the first thing we've talked about. Um, we're going a little long, 
Um, but uh, and so this last thing I want to talk about is the last thing that uh, we should address in this video. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this, and it's not exactly fair uh, to either Cameron or Life because this isn't in the outline. So <laughs> it's uh, going to be some <laughs> right. It's going to be something new. But well, if it's um, going to go long. You just have to expect. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so uh, we are Christians, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about how. Where this issue in people's lives that causes a lot of hurt, that causes a lot of moral conflict between people in society, and that causes heated debate and division, but most importantly, deep personal hurt in people's lives, who young people get pregnant unplanned, people who've had abortions and, and face deep regret over it. Where, how can the gospel? of Jesus intersect with this issue. And I just want to open that up to either life or Cameron. Uh, how can the gospel of Jesus Christ intersect with this issue? So, uh, well, uh, we have uh, an hour more. Was that it? <laughs> yeah. Not so, today, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I do think that, um, uh, in terms that uh, the gospel is good news, this is one of the places it, it seems to me um, easy to to cl- uh, claim that it is good news. Mm-hmm. First, if um, you're struggling with something that that has happened, uh, the Christian mes- message is that no matter what, there is forgiveness waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's something you deeply struggle with, uh, redemption and healing can be, find, be found in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, that's um, on a, both on a psychological level, a theological level, and on a just living day-to-day level. Uh, these are profoundly good news mm-hmm. um yeah uh, th- that's a good start at least absolutely yeah, yeah Ma, what do you think yeah I, I don't think much more than that i think that mm-hmm. that's um uh, that's like taking the first jump into a thousand foot deep well of mm-hmm. of the goodness and the riches of god but that's it i think we treat this issue in church as a way of kind of keeping people outside of the inner group it's how we maybe define mm-hmm. our circle of Christians. And maybe we don't say if you uh, are in favor of abortion, then you can't be part of our group, but we definitely imply that at least in the United States, mm-hmm. that's how we distinguish our, ourselves from them or something like that. And I think too infrequently we present the gospel as the solution, both eternally and in terms of the, um, the person either who is guilty of abortion or doesn't think the same way about it as we do as though the, Mm -hmm. the gospel is not big enough to, to like, there are some sins the gospel doesn't cover or something like that. And if what we're doing as Christians is telling the world that there are sins that they are guilty of that are too big or like, well, man, you're going to, you're going to have to say a lot of prayers before Jesus gets Mm -hmm. over that one. It's like, man, he, 
God's already over. He already did that. That that work is already accomplished. The forgiveness has already happened. Mm -hmm. Now what God wants us to do is come home. So if we take the parable out of Jesus' mouth of the prodigal son who wandered so far away from his father that he was he was doing the worst things. All right, he was he was uh, lusting over pig food. Mm-hmm. He's wandered as far away from his father as he can, but when he comes to his senses, returns home in humility, and his father welcomes him, uh, welcomes him because now he he was dead and now is alive, and my son is home. Remembering that our heavenly Father has that uh, attitude with us, that no matter how far we wander. It's not like you've it's not like you've gone too far or even like you have a longer road to walk back than someone whose sin life is maybe not as scandalizing. It's like Jesus says that if we are guilty of violating the law in one part, we violated the whole thing. So that's true, some people's lives are 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 greater or lesser that there are greater and lesser degrees of sinfulness and mm-hmm. whatever but there's not like greater degrees of distance from God before you can uh, return to him in faith and receive right. his forgiveness and be welcomed, be welcomed into his family. Like, so if we, if we start making people think like, well, man, you're real bad. So you've got a real long walk for me. It was easy. I just had to turn around and say, Oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm back. Yeah. Right. But for you, you know, it's going to be a while then shame on us. Right. God's forgiveness has already covered all of that. And we're being invited at every moment to return home to God's family where he receives us with joy. Where the, the scriptures say that when one lost sheep returns to the fold, that the, the angels in heaven rejoice. Like we need to treat the world like that. When lost people return to God's family, what they're they designed to be a part of, that the heavens rejoice when that happens. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop preaching. That's probably... probably <laughs> That's now we've gone, we've gone this much. I don't know if we've gone any deeper life. I don't mean, but right. that's a very, very deep uh, well of goodness to try and survey. Yeah. But I, but I think that's so, uh, I mean, yes. And amen to everything. I mean, you, you guys both said, and I mean, we, you know, we deal with, or we help people on an individual basis, you know, as they come into our churches and into our groups and things like that. And so the, the gospel might intersect specifically different, in different um, situations, but the general and uh, universal good news is that uh, abortion or considering abortion or going through with abortion is certainly not unforgivable by God. Definitely not. Uh, The blood of Jesus, the grace that God offers through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection is more than enough to wash clean, to purify, to cover over, to forgive any sin, including the sin of abortion. And so I think that that is, um, Mm -hmm. the importance of that can't be overstated because I think that, uh, wanted to echo something that Cam touched on earlier, that what we definitely shouldn't do, uh, what we can't do is, add any more shame onto the pile of shame they're probably already feeling. Um, I would say like 10 times out of 10, there's some shame there. Uh, whatever, whatever stage you're at, either considering or going through with it. And what the church should do, what our, what our response needs to be is open arms, is love, is acceptance, is comfort, is the gospel. They need to know that they're not 
second tier believers or second tier members or anything like that. No, if you repent and put your faith of G- in Jesus, even repent of the sin of abortion, mm. you are graciously loved, cherished wonderfully, received with open arms as a, and receive full status as a child of God. And uh, I think the importance of that can't be overstated. Yeah. Thank you guys for um, commenting on that, that uh, last little detour at the end there. I really appreciate it. Um, Life, thank you so much for coming on the podcast for these last two episodes. I, we, we really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yes, we'll have to do this. We'll have to talk about more stuff. Yes, obviously. <laughs> we have a real live apologist uh, on the hook. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we will, we'll definitely make sure that uh, we make that happen. Uh, yeah, once again, life, thank you so much. And for you at home listening to this, uh, I hope you, you know, really appreciate this conversation. I mean, we try to touch on these things sensitively. We know that they're really serious uh, issues. I hope we were able to give you some food for thought and maybe hopefully give you, uh, it would be through God's divine providence through us, but give you some wisdom and how to approach this issue uh, in your current context, uh, whether that's in Norway or in America or wherever. And so thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to Word First Radio. Be sure to like, subscribe, and check us out online at wordfirst.us. Yeah!